0: Evidence and Answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukarin. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and
1: Answers, Pat will be interviewing nuclear engineer and physicist Ian Hutchinson. So to start, here's Pat with a few words. You know, a few days ago, a book came across my desk by Dr. Ian Hutchinson, an MIT professor, a professor of physics and of nuclear science and engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And the book was, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? An MIT Professor Answers Questions on God and Science. And I read the book, and it was quite a challenging book. And although I don't agree with Dr. Hutchinson on several of his points in the book, Overall, the majority of it I agreed with, and I think most of our listeners who are Christian would agree with most of what he has to say. It is a challenging read, and I thought it was worthy to interview him because he is one of the top scientists in the world. Dr. Ian Hutchinson, a professor at MIT, one of the top scientists in the world, and he is a man deeply committed to the Bible, and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I thought it was worthy to hear from one of the top scientists of our time and also a committed believer in Jesus Christ. So although in an the interview there are some positions he took that I would disagree with and maybe some of our listeners may disagree with. I think overall, we would agree with what the majority of the positions that he took. And so here on Evidence and Answers, as you know, we don't always interview people that agree with us down the line on every philosophical or or theological position. In fact, we even have those, if you listen to some of my debates, uh, who even oppose our position. But when there are people who have something worthy to say like dr ian hutchinson and people worthy to at least listen to we'll put them on evidence and answers even if we don't agree on everything they say but i believe that this interview will be very challenging i think his book is a very challenging read from a man deeply committed to christ and i think we'd agree on most of the content in his book and in the interview there are parts that we We may disagree with but nevertheless i think he had something worthy to say from a man who has done significant work in science and is committed to christ so that's why we decided to air this interview with dr ian hutchison and i hope it'll be a challenge to many of you who listen to this interview we had with him today now you state that in one of your chapters that there are the big questions of life and what are the big questions of life, and can science answer the big questions yep. of life?
0: Yeah, by the big questions of life, I mean things like the kinds of things that students ask themselves very predominantly. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Is there a God? What is the meaning of my life? Is there a purpose? to what I'm doing. Those kinds of big questions are questions that I believe everybody answers, asks themselves, maybe doesn't answer, but they ask themselves at some stage in life, and particularly students are asking those questions. I think those are questions that clearly can't be answered by science because science doesn't address these high-level questions, these questions about meaning, questions about purpose, etc are not things that science is equipped to uh, address because they 're not the, the kinds of questions that science is involved with science is explaining if you like the how questions it 's not addressing the why questions and um, so it 's unfortunate that this that this predominant scientism which is um, present in the academy today, the focus on science and its methods and and technologies are associated with them, has tended to displace these Big questions from the curriculum. And so, although some courses do address these in some universities, it's much less so than it used to be in universities. But young people, particularly, and I think old people too, still are exercised by these questions. They want to have answers to those. And also, those are the kinds of questions that give serious strength and direction to our ethics, our morality, and how should we live. And those are vital questions, but science really can't address them. But our faith, religious faith, of course, particularly does address them.
1: Yes, yeah, so you mentioned the word here, scientism, which is a <laughs> predominant ideology in the academic arena and our culture. I mean, what is a scientism and how has this uh, ideology, you know, affected our understanding of, you know, real knowledge and how we attain truth?
0: So, scientism. my short definition of scientism is it's the belief that science is all the real knowledge there is, and the presumption that other types of knowledge are sec- at best second-class and maybe at worst nonsense. And that attitude, which is v- very rarely explicitly explained, but that attitude is very widespread in you know, the academy and even in, in the wider world today. And, and it's understandable in a certain sense because science has been tremendously successful over the past four, four or five hundred years in developing a very powerful understanding of nature. But there are lots of other things about the world which are not nature. They're humanities. They're other things, philosophy and so forth. And they include theology and our understanding of God. It's very important to draw a distinction between scientism, which is is in a certain sense an improper extrapolation of our confidence in science into a a sphere in which it is not competent, and to, to distinguish that from science itself. People often fail to make that distinction, and when they fail to make that distinction, then they begin to think that, well, maybe science indicates that, you know, religion can't be true. But no, that isn't the case. What What happens is that if you adopt scientism, then you disbelieve religions, but you also discredit other disciplines like history and so forth. So scientism, does have a warfare, if you like, or a contradiction between itself and theology, let's say. There is a warfare between scientism and theology because theology isn't, isn't science in the sense of a, of a natural science. But there's also a conflict between scientism and lots of other disciplines, including those that I mentioned already, history, sociology, politics, and so on and so forth. So it's not that somehow religion is in a unique position as being something which is kind of discredited by science. That's that's a, a complete caricature of the real situation. But what is the problem is scientism.
1: Yes, and one of the things you state in your book is that scientism erroneously applies the investigative methods of science to all areas. Right. Explain that for us.
0: Well, I, I mean, it, basically, there is, as I said, the the methods of science are, rely upon experiment and observation, and the re, and the reproducibility that they bring up. If you try to approach a question like "Is there a God?" and pretend that somehow the question "Is there a God?" is a scientific question, you may reach the point of being able to to persuade yourself that there is no scientific evidence for God. I actually think there's There is some evidence in science for the reality of God, but I don't think that I can demonstrate that there is a God by doing scientific experiments or observations. So I think that I would concede that there is in a certain sense not a scientific proof of or evidence for god but that doesn't mean that god isn't real and it doesn't mean that there isn't any evidence for god the evidence for god is largely not scientific and the reason is because basically god isn't a scientific question and in the same way you know if you wanted to ask the question well you know does my girlfriend love me you can't answer that question by doing scientific experiments or observations. And the reason in part is because it's a personal question. It's a question about personality and intentionality and purpose and so forth. And those kinds of questions can't be answered by science. In just the same way, the question of whether there is a God or not is not a scientific question because ultimately it's not just a question about existence because God is not, you know, an object in the natural world or someone who exists in the same sense as a nucleus exists or an electron exists. God is, of course, someone beyond the world. The world exists because of God. God upholds the world. And so you can't expect that the existence of God is something that you would naturally discover by doing scientific experiments.
1: Yes. So uh, what I hear you saying is that when we look at the scientific data, how we interpret it, the conclusions we come to, those are a lot determined by our worldview and the what, philosophical you know, presuppositions that we had and how we interpret the data and, and what is the most reasonable conclusion of the scientific data that we see. And that involves theology and philosophy. Is that what I hear you saying? That's true. I mean, when it comes to questions of interpretation, this is
0: where things become difficult. And as you say, our background presumptions, our metaphysical positions, if you like, our worldviews, Uh, have a great influence on those interpretations. And so science is in the business of what I would, the way I put it is, science wants to explain nature naturally. We want to have natural explanations for natural phenomena. That's what I, as a scientist, set out to develop, and, and all other scientists do too. And we've done a pretty good job of that. But the fact that we've done a good job of that doesn't rule out the the, the, from my point of view, the, the notion that there are things beyond nature, and we wouldn't necessarily expect those to be demonstrated or to be proved by studying nature. When we see that the world, which is well described by our scientific phenomena and our scientific laws, we don't necessarily come to the conclusion that there is a God, but it's not at all a disproof of the presence of God that we have natural explanations for things. So I certainly take the view, and coming back to the question in the title of my book, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles, I very much believe that a scientist can believe in miracles. Because it's the fact that we have scientific laws that describe the normal working of nature doesn't rule out the possibility that a God who is sustaining the world—God the Son is sustaining the world by uh, upholding the universe by His Word of power—it's not out of the question that a God might choose to to conduct that sustaining of the world in a way that's different from usual. And that might well be one of the ways in which we identify things which we can call miracles.
1: Yes, and, you know, going back to— scientism, because it's such a dominant ideology here, one of the things you state is that scientism is, you know, one of its flaws is that it is logically self-defeating. Explain that for us.
0: Well, at its lowest level, if you think that all the real knowledge is science, you can ask the question, how do you know that all the real knowledge is science? Because that statement is not discovered by science. So that is logically self-defeating. There are lots of things about science which depend upon knowledge that we didn't gain by science. I mean, a a simple example is language. You can't possibly do science unless you can speak and write, et cetera, a language. But language is not something that was discovered by science. So there are lots of skills and knowledge that we depend on in the sciences that are not scientific. And in that sense, scientism is self-defeating.
1: Yes. Now, in your book here, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? There are a couple key words we need to define here, and you define them well in the book. Faith and Miracle... How do you define those two?
0: Okay, let's start with faith, which is which is very important because I think very often people who are skeptics put forward the notion that faith is believing things Believing what you know ain't so, or right. believing things that have no evidence or no, no justification for right. uh, it. It is true that faith can involve an element of belief in propositions. That's one strand of the meaning meaning of the word faith. But actually, there are two other strands which are usually ignored by the sceptics, and those and those strands are. Faith means trust, trust in a person or in a thing. And thirdly, it can mean loyalty to a person or to an ideal. And actually, when it comes to the Christian faith, when we are called to faith, It is those second and third meanings, trust and loyalty, that are most often being referred to, that that Christians are being called upon to trust God, to trust the love and and compassion of God, and to be loyal to God, uh, to follow him and, and to obey his commands. So it's vital to think in this broader framework of what we mean by faith. Uh, This is actually also important for Christians to glom onto, that faith isn't just belief in propositions. Christian faith is not believing the right things. It is having a faithful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that is so critical for Christians to recognize. So when it comes to this question of the relationship between faith and science, science isn't sort of believing things you can prove and faith isn't believing things you can't prove, it, it's much more complicated than that. And so that's where faith stands from my point of view. On the question of miracles, miracles is also a very tricky word. A lot of people think of a miracle as being something that breaks or violates a law of science. In other words, it's something that can't happen in the normal course of our description of the world. But that isn't actually what the New Testament uses to describe the things that we call the miracles, for example, the miracles of Jesus or of those that have accompanied the apostles in the New Testament. The New Testament uses three words. Of course, it's written in Greek, so it doesn't use the English word miracle. But the, but the three words in Greek that are used in the New Testament to des- describe, for example, the miracles in the Gospels are a mighty work or a sign or I'll leave it at that as a third meaning. So basically, there were no such things as laws of nature in the first century. I mean, yes, the laws of nature were the same then as they are now, but people didn't think in terms of laws of nature. So it would have been completely impossible for the New Testament to have defined a miracle in in terms of a violation of the laws of nature. And in fact, when you think about biblical miracles, for example, the turning of water into wine or other types of things, sometimes they do appear to be completely inexplicable on the basis of what we know, now know to be the laws of physics. I, for example, can't think of a way in which water could be instantaneously turned into wine, thinking about the, the marriage at Cana in Galilee, and that be compatible with the laws of nature as you, as you know it, as we know it. I don't mean to say that that means it didn't happen. I think it did happen. Uh, I just think that that the laws of nature were, in a certain sense, violated then. But there are plenty of other miracles which are just important, and in many cases more important, that don't violate any law of nature. So you can think about Jesus' prediction that Peter would deny him three times on the night before the resurrection. That might have just been a lucky guess, so that doesn't violate any law of nature. And nevertheless, it functioned as a sign to Peter, and indeed made people wonder, it was a wonder, as well as being something that, that made the early church sit up and take notice. And so I think when we talk about miracles, it's important to recognize that the Bible miracles are things which are extraordinary acts of God that serve a purpose uh, of being a sign, of being a wonder, of being a mighty work. And so that's the way I define a miracle. If I want a short definition of a miracle, it's an extraordinary act of God. That understanding almost always requires a certain level of interpretation. So when Peter, you know, denied Jesus for the third time and the cock crowed, and Peter broke down and wept, it was because he realized he'd interpreted finally what Jesus had said, and he saw it um, as a, a mighty act of God, a sign to him. And so when we're thinking about any of the miracles of those days or of today, we are never free from the necessity to interpret them, to see God's uh, hand in the events of the world, whether they're extraordinary, whether they break a, a law of nature or not, and interpretation is vital to the whole recognition and perception of miracles. That's perhaps enough about miracles, but, but if you've got follow-up questions, go for it.
1: Yes, and uh, one of the things you state is that you cannot prove a miracle scientifically like the resurrection. Yeah. It requires a, a, a different discipline.
0: Yeah. A, th- a lot of the time people worry about the fact that, well, we don't have lots and lots of miracles that have been scientifically proved to be true because, if you know, and, and so why not? Well, the, the reason is basically because science depends on reproducibility. So a miracle by its very nature is a unique event. It's an extraordinary act of God. It's not the routine acts of God. The routine acts of God are the laws of nature. Okay. That's the way he's routinely upholding the universe. Okay. So if a miracle is by definition extraordinary, then it's also, by definition, incapable of being proved scientifically. I don't mean to say scientists can't investigate things. I mean, science can investigate miracle claims and sometimes find, find that there is some natural explanation. Sometimes they can show that there's fraud involved, for example. So science isn't irrelevant to miracles, but science cannot intrinsically prove something to be a, to be a miracle. And I illustrate this in my book about an example of, of an extraordinary event that happened in my life
1: right so you know I talk to uh, many Christians on campus and they say you know the Bible is filled with miracles or Christianity is filled with miracles like the resurrection and I feel that I have to jettison my brain in order to believe in miracles but one of the things you state is that it is reasonable and rational if there is a God that is active in this world there can be acts of God so it can be a reasonable rational conclusion To conclude you know a miracle has occurred
0: yeah that's a sense in which our background worldview whether or not we believe in God has a strong influence of how we interpret some extraordinary event so in the case of a healing for example someone who gets well when they weren't expected to if you don't believe in God what are you going to say? Well, it was a spontaneous recovery. If you're the physician, you take up uh, and trying to approach this in a kind of scientific way. You say, well, we don't have any explanation for this. You know, it doesn't usually happen that way. But if you're a person who believes in God and have faith, and particularly if you understand some background, you know, for example, that this person has been prayed for by the elders of their church or something, then you're liable to say, wow, that's fantastic. You know, God has acted in this, in this situation in answer to prayer, and you're going to Interpret. that is a miracle. So miracles do require some degree of interpretation and that is controlled by your background worldview.
1: I thought that was a great and challenging interview with Dr. Ian Hutchinson. You know as I stated many times on Evidence and Answers here we interview men and women who do not necessarily agree with us down the line on all issues but nevertheless if they have done significant work and have something important to say, I believe they're worth listening to and having a voice here and discussing and and challenging our thinking here on Evidence and Answers. And really, that's what we're all about. Dr. Ian Hutchinson is a man deeply committed to Christ and a significant scientist in our time today. He's an MIT professor in physics and engineering, doing some great work in plasma energy. And he wrote a very challenging book, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? An MIT professor answers questions of God and science. And there are many parts of that interview that I really thoroughly enjoyed and thought he did a fantastic job on, talking about the alleged war between science and Christianity, talking about the limits of science, talking about the shortcomings of scientism, the understanding of faith and science. thought he did just an outstanding Job there it was a little uncomfortable and I think some of our listeners might have been when it came to the area of miracles you know we agree that it is a violation of natural law and uh, you know some parts I cringed a little when he talked about Peter's denial perhaps being a good guess by Christ I Think that one you know Jesus Christ being the incarnate Son of God sees the future as clearly as he sees the present God being beyond time and space so he made a very accurate miraculous prophetic prediction of peter's denial i don't think it was a good guess i think it was a prophecy that he saw clearly being the divine son of god the red sea he may have just stated it in a way that was not clear i believe that god used the forces of nature in a miraculous way to part the red sea so it was indeed a miracle not purely something natural and I, i don't think that was his intent there. I agree that the Bible is a pre-science book. We shouldn't read too much science into the Bible. But one thing I wanted to make clear, and I'm, I'm sure Dr. Hutchinson would agree, were the Bible speaks of the created order of of the natural world, what it says is indeed true. And there are truths about creation stated in the Bible that indeed science in recent days has affirmed. You know, for example, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word there is bara, out of nothing, God created the universe. And I think science, big bang theory, indeed, in which the universe explodes into being out of nothing upholds that premise in genesis that god created the universe out of nothing and so although the bible is a pre-scientific book indeed he is correct there when it does speak of the created order indeed what it says is true and there are aspects of that truth that science does affirm when the bible does speak of the created order what it says is indeed true and indeed modern science has affirmed that So I think this was a very challenging interview, I think this is a very challenging book to read, and I think overall we would agree with most of what Dr. Hutchinson had to say. So I hope everyone listening enjoyed that interview and found it very challenging, and I hope you come to the same conclusion Dr. Hutchinson and I have come to, that Christians do not need to be afraid of the sciences. God speaks through special revelation, His Word, and general revelation through His world that He created. And I hope you come to the same conclusion we both came to, that science and biblical faith are indeed complementary and not contradictory. This is Pat Zucker and your host of Evidence and Answers, and we'll see you next time here on Evidence and Answers.